That's the ideal, right? That there's this kingdom that's in heaven. The only way you can be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation is if your people, your individuals, have a, a heart for God mm-hmm. and that they are under the sway of his will. They're doing what he says. And he is now king as they are each as individuals obeying him from the heart. And, and as they are organized under devotion to him, they become a, a nation to collectively that represents him to the world. Mm-hmm. Okay. And that is the vision. That's the vision for God's people. If you know, we, we look at the Great Commission and, and all of that, it's not, I don't think that's the best vision statement. For the vision the came long before that. The vision for right. God's people came long before that. It's just exactly. a question of whether Israel fulfilled that vision or not. Yes, and they don't. <laughs> Welcome, everyone, to the Faith Recovery Podcast, where we are seeking to recover faith by recovering the faith. I'm Kent. You are. <laughs> and you are Nathan. I am still. Yes. And we're in a series called According to Scripture. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, maybe about 15 episodes behind us. And today our title is Lion of Judah. Oh, yeah. The Messiah as eschatological king. Eschata what? Eschatological, yeah. It kind of sounds <laughs> sounds a little fecal there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, we can't help it. We don't make these words up. We just use them unnecessarily. The theme today will be God will rule the nations as the son of David. What? God will rule the nations but he will do so as the son of David. Isn't that weird? Mm. Yeah, provocative. So this is kind of in keeping with our the, the the idea in our series is that there's this truth about the gospel, this thing that's true now about the gospel message mm-hmm. that is about Jesus, but it's deeply related to the story in the Old Testament. Yippers. And the line of Judah is, um, oh, uh, a metaphor? Uh, well, uh, that comes out of the Bible. Super, what is the line yeah, of Judah? It's a super interesting reference. So prepare to be super interested. Okay, I'm ready. <laughs> Woo, man! The interest level spiking out there. We can track interest level here with AI. So Jacob, he blesses his sons. He says, "Gather around, so that I can." This is tell in Genesis you. 49, by the way. Oh yeah, Genesis 49:1. One. Tells his boys, um, gather around so I can tell you what will happen to you in days to come. So, man, this isn't just a paternal blessing. It is, but, you know, this Jacob guy seems to have some insight, right? And uh, so he's giving them the the skinny on what it is. When he gets to Judah, you know, some of these are kind of weird. I think if I were Simeon or somebody, I'd be like, uh, okay, thanks, Dad. You know, <laughs> wander off slowly. Like I don't know what that was. You know, um, <clears throat> but some of them are really detailed and specific. You know, kind of like a oh, what is it? Your horoscope. You know, horoscopes are generally really you know general, generally. Mm-hmm. Um, and on the Onion, they're really specific. Yeah. <laughs> okay. That guy you met last week, the one with the blue hat, he's coming back to kill you. you know, or <laughs> yeah. So some of them are like general horoscopes and some of them are like the onion horoscopes. Uh, and Judah's is more like the onion horoscope, okay. you know. <clears throat> and uh, and so Jacob gets down to Judah and, and he says, uh, your brothers will praise you. Your hand will be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons will bow down to you. Notice this. He says, you are a lion's cub, hmm. Judah. Okay. 
Uh, you return from the prey, my son. Like a lion, he crouches down like a lioness who dares to rouse him. Mm. A scepter will not depart from Judah. So what does mm. that okay, mean? Okay, so there's two ideas there. Lion right. and uh, rulership. That's the scepter. Right. So he's a lion and he's a ruler. Okay. Right, yeah. Right. And and so there's this <clears throat> this image of this rule of this uh, scepter who that's in his hand through generations, I suppose, you know, for a long time and and the ruler's staff from between his feet. So man, this imagery is just, you know, it's so uh, striking that you can almost see Judah standing there and um he is He's got, he's arrayed in these kingly, he has these kingly accoutrements, right? Mm. Um, and so <clears throat> he's, he's there, but, and then it says that, that that won't happen until he, until he to whom it belongs. So Judah, Judah's line is a place, so placeholder for he to whom it belongs. The, the, the scepter belongs. Yes. The scepter will not depart from Judah, yeah. nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, uh-huh. until he <clears throat> to whom it belongs shall come. Right. And the obedience of the nations shall be his. Yeah. Notice that this isn't just uh, rulership over Israel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, the nations. Right. But the, yeah, the breadth of his kingdom is all nations. Mm-hmm. Man, that's kind of a crazy thought, right? That there's this <clears throat> king coming and, and he's obviously going to rule over Israel because he said he's, you know, he's, he's um, your brothers will praise you and all of that. So there's this, this regional rulership or whatever, right? That is, that Jacob is seeing in the future. Mm-hmm. But there's also a worldwide leadership, and it's it's going to be over an individual. It's mm-hmm. not over uh, a dynasty, okay? Mm-hmm. But but there's he who. Yeah, right? the, the scepter will not depart from Judah, his 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 family line, mm-hmm. until he to whom it belongs shall come. So the scepter the scepter belongs to an individual right. in the family line. Exactly. Yeah, and. Uh, <clears throat> And notice that Judah here is not called uh, a lion, right? Um, even though you are the, a lion's cub, right? From the perspective of uh, Moses or whoever's writing this, that Judah is a is the progenitor of a lion, right? He's not just a child or you know a descendant. So you think of a cub as offspring, right? Uh-huh. Um, <clears throat> But he is the, you know, the fountainhead of this tribe. So to think of him as the child of somebody seems out of place in the imagery, you know, and where we're at in time, that he is the lion's cub, right? But when you get to Revelation 5, uh, and there's this image of this lamb who was slain, right? And... Then, you know, there's this scroll and this mighty angel says who's worthy to open the scroll and break its seals. And um, there's no one found. And John weeps for that. Um, And then one of the elders comes in Revelation 5, 5. You want to read that one? Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able 
to open the scroll, and it's seven seals. Mm-hmm. Notice that this one, right? He says, then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, this lion. That This one that's worthy, he is not the cub like Judah. He's the lion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Notice that Judah is described both as a lion's cub and a lioness, right? But never the big maned male lion, right? The progenitor. Um, Judah is the irony here is, is that Judah is the uh, offspring of his own descendant, <laughs> mm. <laughs> to put it that way, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. That he is he is in the uh, type and form of the one who will come after him, and the one who comes after him is the lion to his lion cub. And notice he's also the root of David, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, I'm, I'm. Yeah, to me, this is mixing metaphors here. It is, just like all of the. He's Book a lion. Revelation. He's a root. <laughs> Right, but again, he's connected to Judah. He's connected to David. Yeah, but that this image of the staff is again a mixed metaphor. The kingly staff, or the scepter and the uh, staff, right. are mixed in the exact same right. um, way in Genesis forty-nine. It's just that we have a, a name for this this descendant of David who kind of becomes the mm-hmm. archetypal king. Judah obviously didn't reign as king. The idea of kingship isn't even brought in until. Uh, centuries later, mm-hmm. <clears throat> and right. David comes from the line of Judah, the line, not the lion of like Judah, the lion, right? Yeah. The line, <laughs> right? The of line of Judah, right? And yet Jesus is not the uh, shoot. You know, David is called the shoot of Jesse. Okay, you yeah, know? yeah, he's coming up out of Jesse. Right, right. That's how you would describe if if he is the uh, descendant of someone. Uh-huh. He's the shoot. He should be the shoot of David. Right, right. right. He's not. But this though. one is the root of He's David. He's the root of David, right? And so this is this, uh, you know, it, it's just such beautiful language. And so you connect Genesis with Revelation. Isn't that beautiful? That we, that this same little verse over here in Genesis, this kind of mm-hmm. offhand reference, is brought back up in Revelation 5. And it's brought up in a way that's surprising, I think, that if we were going back, say we were John and we were going back and we were saying, well, how is Jesus related to Judah, right? We wouldn't say he's the he's the lion of Judah and the root of David, right? That just because we're trapped in time, chronologically speaking, it can't be that he's the lion of Judah right. and the root yeah, of David. Yeah, we would just say he's the descendant of Judah. Right. <clears throat> or he is, you know, um, a lion in the tribe of Judah or something like that, that uh-huh. he's, um, but not the lion. Like, like this imagery is waiting. There's, you know, someone in this lion family is left out. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? You, yeah. Uh, and that's the one that we're waiting for. If someone begins mm-hmm. to describe a lion, what do you think? You know, are you immediately on to Simba or are you on to Mufasa? Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, are you on to Nala slash Sarabi or are you on to Mufasa? Right? Um, we always think in terms of the, the big maned male lion and here's... Jacob using this lofty language about his son, and yet he makes him this little cub who's enjoying the spoils, right? Mm-hmm. But who's not the one to actually make the kill, if you will. He's not the um, imposing, frightening sort. Mm-hmm. So this 
this one who is the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David. And, and you know, these, these are images of <clears throat> violence and conquest, <laughs> you know, uh, David, the man of blood, right? Uh, wasn't even able to build the, the temple because of the blood on his hands. Uh, he had, you know, he conquered the whole area that was promised to Abraham under his rule and under Solomon's that they reached that zenith from the Wadi in Egypt to the uh, river Euphrates, those two boundary lines. And so that was, that's the extent of Israel and David brought it to that zenith. And yet David's reign, certainly not over the nations, right? Mm -hmm. At best, he was just a regional chieftain. And he had some friends in Lebanon, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, at one point, yeah. though, he's got to be out, you know. Uh, I guess before he's actually king, you know, he's hiding out, hanging out with the Philistines and drooling on his beard like he's a crazy guy so that they'll kick him out mm -hmm. instead of execute him, you know. I mean, he, 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 wasn't, he wasn't some world conqueror, was he? Um, obviously the kingdom was at its zenith, but that was the full extent of Israel, but certainly not the leadership over the nations. And I think this concept of the Son of God, it really, it's not unique to the Hebrew writings, right? Uh, certainly Pharaoh would have seen himself that way. Um, I don't know if Nebuchadnezzar would have. We know that <clears throat> the Roman emperors did I think when you begin to rule over all humankind, mm -hmm. right, um, then people start to think, well, this isn't just a this isn't just a dude. Mm -hmm. That this is somebody who has divine sanction. That that to rule over all people is a feat that should be outside of the realm of human capacity. Mm -hmm. And so you you get this concept that this guy's going to rule over all humankind. I mean, no one's really done that, <laughs> you know, and we've had big empires and emperors, right? Uh, I think that what was the saying that the sun never sets on the British empire. Mm -hmm. So nearly, nearly so, but there were certainly pockets where other colonial powers had a foothold. Right. Um, so you couldn't say that of King George or whoever um, at the zenith of that British empire that he really ruled over all the nations, but there was certainly a high place. Now, what's interesting about this is that <clears throat> having an earthly king seems like it wasn't even in the program for Israel. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah, it came later as a concession. Yeah. yeah, right, a concession. So here's this language all the way back in Genesis using kingly language, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. And... and um, you know, even Balaam, and I, I'm not including it in this because it's it's somewhat problematic. It's very tribal. Balaam's proclamation over Israel that he's going to squash these regional leaders, but he, he but ba but Balaam does see somebody in the distance, mm -hmm. right? I see him, but not near, right? And and so there's this star that's rising out of Israel, and and he is a conqueror. He's going to conquer the. This is what Balaam regional powers, right? So it's okay. It sounds very similar, and if you want to read that, I think it's in Numbers 22 through 24 is the total Balaam cycle. Okay. But uh, at any rate, so there's this person in the distance, in the early, in the Pentateuch, in the earliest books of of the inspired scriptures, they're, they're looking to an individual who is going to be a great conqueror, somebody who's going to rule over the nations. Um, and then you get to where Israel... 
you know, after years, really centuries, I think we don't realize how long the judges period went on. Yeah. So uh, let's say Israel leaves Egypt at, at 1380 BC or something, right? Uh, they spend 40 years in the wilderness. They begin to make their incursions into the land in 1340 under Joshua. Okay. Um, David is, is not crowned king until the, until the 900s BC. Uh, you're talking, uh, you know, 400 years of the judges. You know, we think of it because there's just one book devoted to it. You know, there's a few people mentioned. Mm-hmm. But along through the book of Judges, there are these spans of time, like 80 years. And then they come up under the Midianite rule. God right. raises a judge. So these intervals are rather large. So the time of the judges is a significant phase in Israel's <sighs> history. Big, yeah. It's huge. I mean, it it's as long as the kingdom. Right. Yeah, because what, 586, Judah, you know, 722, mm-hmm. uh, Assyria takes over the northern kingdom. 586, Nebuchadnezzar comes, right. takes over the southern kingdom. So from, it's every bit as long as the kingdom. It's just as, as long as kingdom. the kingdom, yeah. yeah. Then we don't realize that this was the default. This this is where they started. Uh, it almost seems to have been God's intention. And on an earlier one of these, probably, I don't know, 20 of them, 30 of them back, we talked about how um, the idea of restoring the judges Mm-hmm. Right, was, God was will rule his kingdom. Right, yeah, yeah, and he's going to rule his kingdom under these um, these people that uh, have leadership, but they don't have this kind of sovereign kind of power. Uh, they don't have legislative authority. Um, they seem to be more of an, an executive role. The judges, right? They're, they're like these uh, spiritual authorities who ha- who God's delegated to them power. Yeah. He's delegated to them authority by giving them power right. to operate yes. as a leader, as a deliverer, right. as a right. judge. Right. Uh, but he's not given them this positional authority. Yeah. That belongs to God. Right. And and their leadership was not to be in perpetuity. It was just for an occasion. Uh-huh. And and had they attempted any time they attempt to build a dynasty, it seems that it goes sour mm-hmm. within a generation. Mm-hmm. You know, so Gideon. Everybody's like, man, that guy was awesome. Then they they take his uh, ephod and they and it becomes an object of worship. Boom, sour. Mm-hmm. You know, um, anytime somebody tried to build a, some sort of lasting legacy beyond their own lifetime or their really their own ministry, which could have been just a decade or so, mm-hmm. you know, um, then it seems to have gone sour. Mm-hmm. And as it did with Samuel, which is a good segue, even though Samuel. I think of all the judges, he was the last judge. He had this mighty spiritual power, I think. He wasn't just like a Samson who, you know, kind of this brute who could get things done. You know, Samson's kind of the, uh, maybe what the evangelicals see in Trump, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah, right. here's somebody, and, and we don't want to be his friend or hang out with him, but he's getting stuff done, right. so, we, you know, we'll get behind him. Yep. Um but here's Samuel, who is this spiritual leader. You know, he has this gravitas. He hears from God after decades uh, of silence. He's hearing from God. He is leading from a place of godliness and devotion. You know, we, we talked about he is a type of Christ himself in that he holds this triple. Uh, it's not an anointing, but it is a triple office of prophet, priest, and judge. Right? He's not prophet, priest, and king because those... No human can bear that anointing on their own, right? Mm-hmm. But he's prophet, priest, and judge. He's as close as we ever get. 
Um, I mean, the scripture Luke two fifty two describes Jesus' upbringing in almost verbatim the way First Samuel two describes Samuel's. Yes, it says Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and favor with man. Right, and that's an that's a citation basically right. from the story of Samuel's Samuel. upbringing. Right, yeah. And so here's Samuel. He hears from God, and he is he's this great leader. But his sons become corrupt because it's just never meant to be this dynastic rulership, right? Mm-hmm. And so the people come to him, and they say, "Give us a king." Samuel's displeased. Um, I don't. I, I suppose he's displeased because he realizes that's not the protocol. But also, he probably feels personally rejected. You know, uh, people get that way. It's like after all I've done for you, you know. <laughs> 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 kind of forget that it wasn't about him anyway. Um, so you want to read First okay. Samuel eight verse uh, I don't know six through nine. But when they said, "Give us a king to lead us." This displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord, and the Lord told him, Listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king, as they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are doing to you. Now listen to them, but warn them solemnly, and let them know what the king who will reign over them will claim as his rights. Yep. And so he does, he goes on, he gives this whole litany of this, you know, this king's going to take your crops, he's going to take your kids, he's going to, you know, it's just take, 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 right? Yeah, there are libertarians out there shouting amen right now. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Um, You know, that it's a tax and spend thing that, you know, centralized leadership is expensive. And uh, and he's going to take all your stuff. He's going to he's going to basically oppress you. And the people are like, sweet. Right. They just want we'll somebody take it. to go out and fight their battles. They need to consolidate leadership. They realize that they're, you know, they're hanging over a barrel, which is really kind of where they needed to be. Uh, and in the hopes that they would trust God. And right. God says, look, I from the time I brought them out of Egypt, I was supposed to be their king. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and so. That's the default that God would be king, right? Um, right. Which is that's the story of the right. Bible, right. I think. Which is the story of Ruth, and we brought this up before. Uh, I don't. I'm not going to do a separate episode on Ruth because we've talked about it. Mm-hmm. But Ruth begins, um, or not Ruth, Naomi begins married to a man named Elimelech, right? Mm-hmm. And then Elimelech. You know, while she's married to Elimelech, they they become enmeshed in the nations. They move out of the land and they go to Moab and they're they're somewhat compromised. And there, Elimelech dies, and she is left under the care of her two adult sons, Malon and Kilion, and uh, and they die. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, there is she is among the Gentiles. And she's left with only her two daughters-in-law, who are also now widows, Orpah and Ruth. Mm-hmm. Okay, so uh, I'm just giving you this this kind of recap for a reason, and the reason being that these names mean something. Okay, uh, Naomi means my delight. Okay, Elimelech means God is king. Malon and Killian mean sickly and wasting away. 
So we see that in this story, which I think reflects real people because they are the uh, ancestors of David. We'll see it. We get to the end of Ruth. They're real people. Mm -hmm. But in their lives is this story of of a descent from someone who is who is taken, who's treasured. Right. Um, And yet they they move among the the Gentiles. And I think that that's reflective of this moment where they say, make us like the nations. Mm -hmm. So God is king. But then, you know, God is king. There's a single consolidated rulership under God. Um, and yet then when that, that time among the nations, I think it eventually results in the end of this unified kingdom into two splintered kingdoms that are on their way out. Mm-hmm. Balon and Kilion represent the divided kingdom. Away, right. Until finally the Israel is, is taken captive, is completely out. You know, they've chosen the way of the nations and now uh, they receive their reward which is being under the thumb of the nations right but out there they find two kinds of gentiles they find the stiff-necked kind which is what orpa means and they find the friendly kind which is what ruth means Hmm. and it's because of those friendly gentiles that israel ever came back to the land right Mm -hmm. right yeah cyrus Uh, right yeah yeah sending them back there funding them to rebuild their temple uh and not just Cyrus, but uh, who is the, the guy at Nehemiah? We'll go back and look at that. You remember? Ahasuerus? Sounds familiar. Okay, we'll, we'll say it's Ahasuerus uh-huh. or maybe Xerxes or something. Anyway, mm-hmm. you know, and in the book of Esther, again, mm-hmm. friendly Gentiles. There are evil or, you know, hostile Gentiles, but then there are friendly Gentiles. Mm-hmm. And so God is beginning to fold the nations in, you know, as you see that, that this friendship with the Gentiles ultimately turns into us <laughs> you know mm-hmm. as messiah comes he becomes connected to not israel but the gentiles and under the you know and and through this relationship that we have i believe that israel uh at least the jewish people will regain their inheritance and uh and so there you go but uh, all that to say is that this is that in moment in ruth where they move among the Moabites, right? They, they say, I want to be out there in the nations. This is too hard. You know, we're tired of scraping and scrapping. How are we going to beat these other powers once they, you know, they're consolidating power under a single chieftain, right? And we are still having to call together a militia last minute. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, need to, we need to do something practical here. But also there was a spiritual reason in that, you know, God says I, I was their king. He called them out. Notice, he says, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant in Exodus 19, 5, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession, my delight. <laughs> right? Um, and, and he says, although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a king, a priest, and a holy nation. And these are the words you are to speak to Israel. So it is my belief that that this is where God says they have rejected me as king from the time I brought them up out of Egypt until now. In 1 Samuel, this is when God asserted his kingship over them. Mm-hmm. Okay? He's given them a law, and he says, you know, respond to me. Do, mm-hmm. do what I said, um, and you will be a kingdom of priests. And so he's really calling them into a personal devotion to him as individuals, and in that personal devotion to be organized into a kingdom that is where its capital is in heaven 
That's the ideal, right? That there's this kingdom that's in heaven. The only way you can be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation is if your people, your individuals, have a, a heart for God mm -hmm. and that they are under the sway of his will. They're doing what he says. And he is now king as they are each as individuals obeying him from the heart. And, and as they are organized under devotion to him, they become a, a nation to collectively that represents him to the world. Mm -hmm. Okay. And that is the vision. That's the vision for God's people. If you know, we, we look at the Great Commission and, and all of that, it's not, I don't think that's the best vision statement. For the vision the came long before that. The vision for right. God's people came long before that. It's exactly. just a question of whether Israel fulfilled that vision or not. Yes, and they don't, <laughs> and which is what obviously God knew. And so you get judges around Judges eighteen. Um, you get this I this refrain that returns right Judges eighteen one and in those days Israel had no king, and that refrain prefaces this kind of horrific story where uh, the there's this someone who sets up some alternative. Um, shrine of worship to God, Micah. Uh, the Danites come and they take him and all of his worship articles and they make it, you know, make all that their their religious cult and they go and subjugate a people and all that. I don't know if that's good or bad in the biblical narrative, but they, you know, they form their place around this alternative mm -hmm. religious cult. Okay. That, uh, you know, it features an idol um, and and even co-ops uh, a descendant of Moses to preside over this religious cult. And so there you have this this profaning of the religion okay. because there is no king. And then you get this other in 19. In those days, Israel had no king, 19.1. And that prefaces a story too horrific to really even describe in detail mm -hmm. here, mm -hmm. right? But something that, that includes rape, murder, dismemberment, war, genocide, mm -hmm. right? <laughs> that all that that's the that's the result. And so there's this this God is, is supposed to be king, right? But he's giving everybody the right that he's giving everybody their freedom. He's not standing in their face and saying, you know, worship me or else. And as a result, the, their whole society is now imploding. So it's know? not working. It's so not, God, God is their king and it's not working. Right. Yeah. And the judge, the author of the judges seems to be acknowledging that there is right. no king. It, and look at what's happening. It's yeah. declining. Right. But so it's a very the religion much is a, declining, the morality is declining, the nation yes. is in decline. Right. It's very much a mixed message though, isn't it? Uh-huh. You know, you get to the end of judges and it's like, this isn't gonna work, guys. <laughs> right? Oh my gosh, you know, we will we will completely destroy ourselves. Here you have these twelve tribes and uh and a scenario where there's just one, you know, one thing goes wrong very wrong but it's still one little isolated event and here come the 11 tribes and they annihilate uh the tribe of benjamin you know th th these are people who are about to consume themselves because the next event you know let's just say the tribe of ephraim decides that you know one of their people crosses a line does something unconscionable 
you know, now you had the 10 come and they destroyed them. Mm-hmm. You know, eventually you just got two left and they're in, you know, locked in this civil war and, uh, and then there's nobody left, you know, because outside powers will come and be like, these guys just can't be trusted to live here, you know? Um, and so that's the, that's what happens when you don't have a human king. I mean, that seems to be the point of the end of Judges. And maybe the whole book of Judges is like, mm, they tried it, it didn't work. You know? So there's this mixed message. God is king, you shall not have a king other than mm-hmm. God. Then uh, that doesn't work. And the people say, uh, uh, we, need, we need a king. And God gives tells Samuel, you know, give them what they ask for. Right. But he's going to abuse you. Yes. Okay. Right. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, and, man, there's <laughs> just no winning here. And then the yeah. human kings don't work. Right. Yeah. <laughs> if you read on through the story. Yes. Yeah. Right. Right. And so. So they end up dispersed and in exile. Yes, exactly. Uh-huh. Uh, and so it just doesn't ever. Not having a king doesn't work and having a king doesn't work. What's uh-huh. going to happen? Right. <laughs> not having a king is as outside of God's. I mean, having a king seems to be outside of God's ideal. Mm-hmm. Not having a king seems to be untenable. Uh, so what do we do? You know, um, and and so that's the challenge here, and yet all the way back in Genesis forty nine, we see that there's this kingly imagery. Wait, so Exodus nineteen, it seems that God is setting up a kingdom that doesn't have a human king. But Genesis forty nine, God says, "King's coming." <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, um, and and all of it gets kind of confusing, right? What what is it supposed to be? What's supposed to happen here? Um, and so. That's that's kind of where we're stuck. Mm-hmm. That's where we're at. Right, but the king is the lion, not the li- not the dis- not the uh, the cub of right. the lion. Right, right. The king is the root, not the shoot. Right, <laughs> exactly, exactly. He's somebody that's come before. Right. So what is um, Isaiah nine speaks of this one who's going to come, right, unto us? Uh, we're not we're not at Christmas yet, but let's go ahead. We we don't have to wait till Christmas to read this, right? Uh, he says, uh, for to us, a child is born to us, a son is given and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be called wonderful counselor, mighty God, <laughs> everlasting father, prince of peace of the greatness of his government and peace. There will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Pretty awesome, right? Yeah. Right? And he's the... Uh, he's a son. Mm-hmm. He's a child. Uh-huh. And he's God. Right. And... Uh, he's the ruler. He is. he's God. He is, So he's yeah. going to be an earthly king. At The first couple of verses there, there's going to be born this one who will be an earthly king he'll be a ruler and they'll call him God Almighty. Exactly. Yeah, he is he's but he's born. Yeah, he's a born he's born to us. And so there's this gift um and it's like you know, there it's just that that he is God. Yeah, that it, and um I'm trying to find the place where his uh his going forth has been from everlasting, right? He's everlasting father. Um, but it's not just that he's going to remain on the throne, but that his, um, 
his origins mm -hmm. are from eternity, mm -hmm. right? And so there's this one who is, has always been. Mm -hmm. And so Judah is his cub and David is his um, shoot. Mm -hmm. And so that's... So God's going to resolve the tension right. between, that we were describing a minute ago. Right. It, it's not God's plan that you would have an earthly king. Um, mm -hmm. Having an earthly king doesn't work. Um, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, not having an earthly king doesn't work. Right. Um, uh, how are we going to resolve this tension? Right. God himself is going to be the earthly king. The exactly. human king. Yes. Yeah. He's going to be born to us and, and be a human, but he's not going to stay here either, <laughs> you know, because that's still the ideal for every individual to respond to God's covenant. For us to be that kingdom of priests and holy nation, we must be led by faith. Um, and, and so we can't, if we're led by sight, if Jesus is on earth and he has at his command, the military and, um, you know, laws are being legislated and, you know, fiefdoms that go out of line, get raised to the ground and, you know, bloodshed and all of that. We're back to where we started. And it's, I, I just don't think it's possible to have a, an earthly kingdom of that sort where, we must presume that the majority of people would not obey this king if they had the choice, <laughs> right? And and that's what we would have. And Jesus, Jesus is reigning on earth today, if he were. If he were to just come in and say, okay, that's it, you know, we're going to enforce all of these Jewish laws, and if you eat pork, we're going to cut your throat or whatever, right? I mean, how do you get all of these Romans to stop eating pork? Right? How do you get the Romans to give up their control over the Holy Land? Mm -hmm. It's you're going to break a lot of eggs mm -hmm. to make that omelet. Yikes! Mm -hmm. Now, what kind of precedent does that set? What sort of kingdom are we under? Mm -hmm. You know, we know that Jesus is not so peaceful that he couldn't just you know wipe everybody out who didn't want to follow him. But then, if they follow him, we get back to like Joseph with that hidden and harsh thing, right? Mm -hmm. now, would, it, would it be authentic? Right. Yeah. If I know that. You know, he's, you, you cross a line, you think the wrong thing and snap and you, you know, you're out of existence. You're vaporized. Um, man, we're all on pins and needles, uh, Yeah, <laughs> you know, and nobody is authentically following him. Nobody is loving him back. Nobody's in this embrace of, of faith, um, that God really wants. And so Jesus in John 17, he says, uh, you sent me into the world. I've sent them into the world. And then he says, for them, I sanctify myself. I set myself apart that they too may be set apart. What is this? What is he talking about here? Right? He's talking about his return journey. That Jesus reigns from heaven and he must. Uh, because if he doesn't, nobody gets to be holy. Everybody's just afraid. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know. Uh, and so he must consecrate himself. He must be absent physically from us so that this operating system of faith can work in us. And so that the vision of Exodus 19 is realized as we are a holy uh, nation, as we are a kingdom of priests, um, that, that our longing, our need, practically speaking, for a human king is realized through the root of David and the lion of the tribe of Judah, 
as is foretold, and yet we are brought to this realized kingdom, this vision of Exodus 19. Mm-hmm. Now that faith has come, as right. Paul would say, mm-hmm. we uh, it can work for God to be king. Exactly. Because the people now have faith. Exactly. And they have faith because he became one of us, as the Hebrew author says, because the children have flesh and blood, he too took on flesh and blood. And for their sake, you know, he died so that he might take away the power of him that had, you know, take away, what is it, the power of him that had the uh, control over the fear of death, the Mm -hmm. devil. Mm Mm-hmm. So there's the reason that all of, you know, that we couldn't count on Israel, physical Israel, to be that kingdom of priests, though they had good intentions. I, you know, I think when they said, hey, everything the Lord has said we will do, I don't think they were lying. They meant that. They just didn't have the wherewithal mm-hmm. to do that. And, and without that, we see that there's a generational decline. That it gets back to this society, this societal corruption, so that it begins to implode. You know, Paul told the Galatians, he's like, look, you were set free, but if but don't use your freedom for the flesh. If you do, you're going to devour one another. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So there's this that's need what, that's, for freedom. That's the book of Judges. Yes. They're free. They yeah. don't have an earthly king. Right. Um, but they used it to indulge the flesh. Right. And they devoured one another. Right, yeah. I mean, by the time you get to Judges 19, they're, they're back in Genesis 19 with Sodom and Gomorrah. Mm-hmm. Right? They... And man, what an indictment and, and what a statement on human nature mm-hmm. that this um, really indicator of how bad the Canaanites were, you know, the, the very nadir of, of the Canaanite immorality in the story of um, Sodom and Gomorrah is repeated in Israel, mm-hmm. right, toward the end of the Judges period. Mm-hmm. That there's not, and it doesn't really matter if you've got good laws and you have a history, you've got some good stories to tell, you've got perfect worship that all came from God. It all will fall apart if the human, you know, if the human nature is not somehow replaced with the divine nature. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and this ties back into Romans 8 that we were reading last week. You know, the law was yeah. weakened by the flesh, but now God has done what the law could not do. Right. Right. And so, and it gets back to that promise that, you know, that he's going to this, this one who comes out of Judah is going to rule not just Israel, but the nations. And, you know, if you're reading, if you're an Israelite and you're reading this story, why does it matter to you (laughs) if somebody rules over the nations? It's like, we don't want them here anyway. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, we want a king who's going to defend our borders right? Uh, who's going to consolidate power and who's going to uh, enforce the law and there will be righteousness within our borders and that anybody who attempts to mess with us is going to regret it mm-hmm. and they'll leave. But the idea of a, of a global empire, was that ever on the table? Mm-hmm. I mean, you yeah. know, from Abraham? It's, it's not a realistic aspiration. No, no, it's not. Nor does it seem to ever be desired. Like, mm-hmm. you know, Abraham is promised this land and have a great nation, but but a global empire, that seems like a bit much, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. You know, from a human perspective, but from God's perspective, how could it be anything less? Right, right. Yeah, naturally. Right, yeah. If there's one God, I mean, now God's just a regional deity, then of course... But if we make this claim that he's the creator, he's the one God, then it, it can't be otherwise. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and so when you get to Romans 1, there's this interesting, um, I guess, telling of the gospel, formulation of the gospel. Uh, you want to read just, uh, let's go Romans 1, 1 through, let's go 5. Okay, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God, the gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who, as to his earthly life, was a descendant of David, and who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the son of God in power by the, his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Through him we received grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith for his name's sake. Woohoo! There's yeah. the obedience of the nations, right? Yeah, All Gentiles, the Gentiles, Gentiles, and nations, right? Mm -hmm. The word, the word Gentile translated Gentiles there is what ethne mm -hmm. in the Greek. So it's it's all the all the ethnicities, right? All the all the nations, um, and so Paul sees this loop closing, right? That God promised beforehand, and now we are calling the nations to obey. Mm -hmm. Wow, you know, um, and there's this there's this great. I just love the way he he formulates this. So he says this that this gospel was about his son, right? Who was appointed the son of God. <laughs> yeah, regarding his son, who as to his earthly life, descendant of David, right? So there's line, uh, tribe of Judah, right? And root of David, root of David. Yeah, um, and we haven't talked but much about scepter, David, but and remember the scepter. Time. Yeah, would never leave that yes. lion. That line right. of Judah. Right, uh, and here he's been given the scepter of authority. Right, yeah. He's he's, he's uh, Messiah, Je Jesus Messiah, our Lord. There's yes. the, there's the rulership. Yes, and it says you know that it won't depart between his feet until the one to whom it belongs comes, and then the uh, you know the obedience of the nations will be his. Right there, it is. Wow, yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> closing the loop, man. It's awesome. Um, I love that it says that he was appointed the son of God in power. And that's not a mistranslation, you know, that there's, um, you think, well, how could he be appointed the son of God? I thought he was the eternal son, right? That mm -hmm. he in his essence is the son of God. Um, and yet he's appointed the son of God in power by the resurrection from the dead, even Jesus Christ, our Lord. Um, and I, and I think it looks to something like Psalm 2 and Psalm 110 and early expositors of the gospel would have looked, you know, leaned heavily on several Psalms. Mm -hmm. um, and this was one. So uh, this is a, a coronation Psalm, right? And it's, it's quoted and referred to, alluded to several times in the New Testament, um, you want to read Psalm 2 for us? Why do the nations conspire and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. I will proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, You are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask me, and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You will break them with a rod of iron. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. Therefore, you kings, be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear, and celebrate his rule with trembling. Kiss the sun, or he will be angry, and your way will lead to your destruction. For his wrath can flare up in a moment. 
Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Amen. Notice that he says, you are my son. Today I have become your father. So that's this appointment as the son of God, right? When he has installed him. I notice right. this here. I have installed mm-hmm. my king yeah. Yeah. on my holy mountain. Yes. It's a coronation. It is. Yeah. And so here's this coronation psalm. And, and, and it's not just that, you know, he's going to rule over Israel or, you know, his regional king. But and we talked about this, this emperor, this world emperor. Uh, it seemed that everyone had this intuitive sense that this must be someone who is divine. If someone began to have these pretensions or even the indication that they were ruler over all the earth, immediately, even in pagan society, there's this um, suspicion and obviously encouraged by many uh, of those same emperors that this person is not just a human. Mm -hmm. And here in the psalm, there is this idea that he is is the ruler over over all the nations. He is appointed the son of God. And so Jesus fulfills this and and Paul says that that today I become your father that this that he is brought to the right hand of God and and so by virtue of being raised from the dead and exalted to God's right hand he fulfills this Psalm 2 um, prescription that he is going to be appointed the Son of God appointed the world ruler mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's what Paul is talking about. So, you know, his gospel to the Romans and right there, you know, like if you were writing the gospel to people in Washington, D.C., mm-hmm. you know, you, and you use this, all this politically charged language, what, what are you doing? Are you, are you mm-hmm. just picking a fight? Maybe, right. um, you know, and we, and we see later on in Romans 10, he makes this, the watershed moment, this confession, Jesus is Lord, mm-hmm. you know. Curios. I mean, this yeah. is like Roman emperors were called curios. Right. Right. And so here he is. He's saying, no, you know, um, whoever it was, Nero or Caligula or whoever was on the throne at this moment, he's not the son of God. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Jesus is. Why? Because that guy is going to die and he cannot d- defeat the ultimate existential enemy, which is death. Right. You know, if if there were some king who were able to conquer death, and so you know his soldiers are just marching in, and you shoot them, and they go down, and mm-hmm. you know thirty seconds later they're popping back up. Now they're madder than they were before. Mm-hmm. You're not going to beat that guy, right? You know, <laughs> so here's somebody who's actually conquered death, and uh, by divine um, right, divine sanction, here's somebody whose whose existence proclaims his uh, call and it gets back to you know we talked about the son of man and and daniel 7 you know there's one like a son of man who is led into the presence of the ancient of days and to him was given authority all power i mean here's this vision of world empires right but they're all beasts because that's what happens when a human seeks that apotheosis when a human wants to rise to become ruler over all humans it is a, a perversion it becomes a monster mm-hmm. yeah and uh, anybody who's a student of history would agree or be lying mm-hmm. so um we see that mm-hmm. and yet there's this this humanity right 
this this person who is the bearer of I think what humans are supposed to be and he's the one that's led into the presence uh, of of the ancient of days and so you get back to revelation 5 and there's this lamb who's who has who's worthy to open the scroll right here's somebody who has because humanity is about you know this right relationship with god how do you how does a person have this kind of authority and power without becoming a monster right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and yet here's somebody the only way for that to happen is for for someone to be lifted up from outside. If I climb up, I become a monster. Mm-hmm. You know, if I, if I descend, like we talked about last time, that I, I find this humility in faith in God, not the self-abnegation foolishness, but the sense that I can, I can lose myself. I can become unselfconscious, right, in, in this complete rest in God. And so here's what Jesus accomplishes is this utter descent. I mean, really, when we look at Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, the man, what did he actually accomplish? You know, uh, did he build a big army? Did he marshal lots of people? I mean, obviously, there were people around him, but not at the end, right? What he really accomplished was this utter descent into, into just abject trust in God with his very life. And through that, he is pulled up onto right. not just into the regions of God's kingdom, but onto the very dice and set right there, right on his throne. Um, and so that's, that's insane. That's madness that a human is, was ever invited there and who could ever do it. Jesus says nobody except someone who first came down. Mm-hmm. So, you, you know, you had to, you had to have given it up to receive it and mm. to be worthy of it. Mm. And so that's what Jesus has done. And all the way back in Genesis 49, as God has folded humankind into his plan, right? David becomes a part of Jesus' story. You know, the story of Jesus is the eternal gospel, as Revelation says, Mm -hmm. right? God knew he was going to get to that place. Mm -hmm. Um, And in his amazing grace, he's just invited people like Abraham and Judah and David. I mean, these are, weren't great people, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, uh, just really if, if stacked up against, say, Western liberal values in America today. Not great people. Mm-hmm. OK. Uh, and yet somehow they're folded in. They have any they have a place They're mm-hmm. uh, They sort of stamp their uh, character in a way onto the Messiah. And yeah, they have they, they sort of shape it. Yeah. Shape the, the, the feature of their coming king. Literally, yeah, his physical self, he is Jewish. Uh-huh. You know, hey, I think I think if Israel were just to uh, accept their Messiah, like the Jewish ethnically Jewish people. You know, like what a what a credit to them that the whole world is sitting there, you know, even though it's become this ridiculous anti-Semitic over time it, it people interpreted Christianity as an anti-Semitic um, message, but you start with Matthew 1, you know, mm-hmm. Jesus, the story of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the mm-hmm. son of Abraham, you know, that there's this inclusion of their, of their ancestors, you know, to me that I would be like, you know, it's like, yeah, so I'm distantly related to Michelle Yeoh, as you know, right? I'm, a, I'm, hey, everybody, <laughs> she's my, she's my first cousin once removed. Okay. Anyway, 
Um, and I think sometimes I'm like, yeah, yeah, name drop, right? Right. But that's nothing, right? Mm-hmm. To be to to be in that line, to be like, well, you know, it's like, you know, well, I'm, you know, I, I'm related to this person or that person, you know, uh, Jaden, he was a big fan of this guy, Hofthor, um, oh, what was his last name? Anyway, he, he played the mountain on Game of Thrones, so he's this big 6'10 guy, you know, and Jaden's like, just feels a kinship to him because this guy's uh, Norwegian and Jaden has 50% Scandinavian blood and Jaden's big, that guy's big, you know? And so he, he just feels this kinship with him mm-hmm. because he shares um, kind of an ethnic background. You know, can you imagine though, <laughs> you know, being like, oh yeah, well, one of our people, <laughs> <laughs> you know? And I think that that's, that's probably a good, it's pride in a good way. I think God wanted them to have that connection Mm -hmm. and, and how sad it is that so many uh, are missing out Mm -hmm. on that. And so he's the lion of Judah. He is. Yeah. Thanks everyone for joining us today. If you got questions, you can email us to discussion at recoverfaith.org. We'll see you next time.